welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our special Christmas series, The Gift, where we'll reflect on the true meaning of the three gifts the wise men brought to honor Jesus upon His birth. And we'll ask ourselves the question, what will I offer Jesus this Christmas? It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Upon seeing the bright star of Bethlehem in the sky, three wise men from the east began their journey to find he who has been born king. They followed the star to the place where baby Jesus lay in a manger. They had arrived with one purpose, to worship him. The wise men each presented their gifts. Gold for the everlasting king, frankincense for the prince of peace, and myrrh for the mighty warrior. This Christmas, we'll reflect on the powerful, true meaning of those gifts and ask ourselves, what gift will I offer to Jesus? What's up, Liquid Church? Hey, Merry Christmas. Let's send some Christmas love to our live locations. Church Online, so glad you guys are joining us today. Hey, I got a special friend with me today, Nick Damari from Rise Against Hunger, our outreach partner who helped lead this weekend's Christmas outreach. We had a goal of one million meals to pack. Nick, how did we do? I'm dying to know. Tim, it was incredible. We were blown away by the amazing volunteers you have here at Liquid Church. You had thousands of volunteers working in six locations across New Jersey, packing nutritious, fortified, healthy meals for those in need. And our team is taking these meals and we'll be shipping them directly to Haiti to meet an urgent need in just a few days. Guys, I am so proud of you sending these meals to Haiti. Nick, what I love about partnering with you and the Rise Against Hunger team is that we share your passion. Uh, for ending the epidemic of chronic malnutrition around the world. So we just feel blessed to inject our money and our manpower to help fight world hunger. Yeah, Tim, we are grateful for the partnership. And if you serve with us this weekend, then you know we do something a little fun at Rise Against Hunger. At each location, we had a brass gong. And anytime we hit a meal packing milestone, we ring the gong in celebration. So today, Pastor Tim, I want to present Liquid Church with your very own custom gong in <laughs> honor of the one million meals packaged for our partners in Haiti. I, this is awesome. This is so much fun. Hey, guys, you want to hear the gong? Can we make a little drum roll call and give it to me, Chart? Three, two, one. Oh, one million meals. <laughs> just awesome, man. I, I love that because Haiti has been so hard hit, not just this past year, but really this past decade. So it's something to celebrate. Most definitely. And a huge thanks to all the volunteers who turned out, uh, to those who brought their entire family, the kids, grandma, grandpa. Some of you brought neighbors and coworkers. Some even brought entire soccer teams. <laughs> you helped feed the hungry in Haiti in Jesus' name. Can we ring the gong one more time? I just like this, Let's man. That's kind of fun, man. I like that one. Nick, we thank Jesus for your partnership, and we love serving him and the poor with you. Can we thank our ministry partners at Rise Against Hunger? Thank you, my man. Grateful for you. Can I send you up with this gong? 
take this thing up to my office, and then when, when Pastor Kyra comes by, I'm going to just hit it and scare her a little bit, all right? <laughs> Guys, I'm so proud of you for just investing your time this weekend, um, putting on those hair nets and, and helping out our brothers and sisters in Haiti. Uh, but I want everybody to know you can still be part of this moment. Uh, One million meals. Guys, that's a ton of food. But do you know how we're paying for those meals? It's through our 2021 Christmas offering. Last week as part of Vision Sunday, I shared that in the new year, God is calling our church to help the hurting in four ways. The first is to feed the hungry. That's the meals that we just did. Second is to elevate our special needs families, invest in next generation college students, and then also bless hurting churches who are really struggling throughout the region. So if you didn't receive a Christmas offering brochure, I want you to grab one at the Welcome Center on your way out today. You can read up on our year-end offering or just go to liquidchurch.com slash vision Sunday to get the info. I don't want you to miss out on this opportunity um, because guys, we don't just go to church at Liquid. We are the church, amen? It takes donations to every size to pack and pay for 1 million meals. So thanks for being part of our Christmas outreach and spreading God's love around the world at Christmas time. Speaking of which, today we are kicking off our brand new series called The Gift. And we're going to look at the three Christmas gifts given by the wise men to the birth of Jesus Christ and what they represent about King Jesus. Now today we're going to have some fun. I'm going to tag team preach this message with Pastor Kyra. So would you welcome her to the stage? Feliz Navidad, Kyra. Feliz Navidad. Merry Christmas. How is everyone doing? It is great to be here today to kick off our Christmas series. You know, I don't know about you, but I love getting my home ready for Christmas, putting up the trees, the twinkle lights, yeah. right, Pastor Tim? But so let me ask you a question. Anybody here own a nativity set? Oh yeah. So, yeah? We got that. Some people, out, you know, put it outside their home. Some people put it under the tree. It includes an assortment of characters, right? We got like the angels, there's shepherds, there's three wise men. And the reason for that is that the Bible actually tells us that Jesus's birth was announced by angels. It was attended by shepherds and it was acknowledged by wise men or magi. Everybody say magi with me. Magi. magi. Now the word magi was used in ancient cultures to identify the priest class. It's where we get the word magician. Did you know interesting. that? Magi, interesting. Magi, magician, okay. They actually studied prophecy, dreams. They sought the mysterious. They studied stars to understand the hidden nature of things. And in other circles, they were also called sages. Now, according to Matthew's gospel, the Magi were Gentiles from the East who were seeking to worship the King of the Jews. That's how the Christmas story actually starts. So I want you to listen in to what Matthew records in his gospel. Okay, here we go. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the East came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Now this is fascinating because if you think about it, right now, somewhere in America, there's probably three to four children, maybe some teenagers under the age of 18. I think my, one of my kids is maybe one of them who will be the <laughs> president of the United States one someday, day. right? <laughs> but truly nobody really cares about that right now, right? Like, I mean, last I checked, no one sets out to find and honor them. So. Why do the Magi actually travel to see Jesus? It's because right from the start, the Magi actually understand Jesus's kingly status is not something that would be conferred to him later on in life. It was actually from birth. In other words, Jesus was born a king, the king 
of Christmas. Not, not just any king, but the ultimate king to rule all kings. And the wise men want to come and worship him. Now, based on this Bible passage, different parts of the world actually celebrate the Magi's arrival. They call it Three Kings Day, okay? It's, I think, on January 6th. Is that right, Kyra? That's right. Actually, that is why I'm partial to the wise <laughs> men, I have to be honest. Because where I come from, Three Kings Day or Tres Reyes Magos is a big deal, okay? If Americans have Santa Claus, Puerto Ricans have the three wise men. <laughs> we come January 6th, our kids actually pick up grass, they put it on a shoebox, they present it to the camels. It's the same here, like when kids leave milk and cookies for Santa. But in our tradition, actually, we teach our kids that during the night, while they sleep, the three kings come and they leave presents by the foot of our kid's bed. It actually represents the gifts that the wise men brought Jesus. So I'm set to tell you, Liquid Church, you heard it right. We get twice the presence, okay? <laughs> in fact, you can see uh, my son Andy here back home in PR about two years ago with the three kings in our old church. Now, the interesting thing about that, by the way, you look like you matched this throne. You're like kind of like Cardi B up here, okay? Uh, well, I'm just you know, saying, I you got the shoes, deny. the whole bling, and all that. <laughs> you know, even though tradition calls it the three wise men, you know something, the Bible doesn't actually say how many there were. Now, most nativity scenes, right, they, they depict three kings, probably because the wise men brought three gifts. But the reality is scholars say, you know what, there probably, there may have been dozens of wise men. What we do know about the Magi is that they were wealthy, they were from an educated class, and they traveled a very long distance to come worship Jesus and present him with three special gifts. And they may be like, what, what kind of gifts? Well, let's keep reading in Matthew, find out. It says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures. Notice that, opened their treasures and present him with what, church? Said, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So you guys catch this? A baby gets born and the three kings bring their treasures to honor the newborn king. Any parents here, you remember getting a gift when your kid was born, all right? Any of you get gold? Anybody? Man, I wish we got gold. <laughs> when my kids were born, all we got was a diaper genie. That's pretty much it. It was like, no one gave us gold or, or frankincense or myrrh. So you may be thinking, you know, what, what do these strange gifts mean? Well, you got to understand what's happening here is like what happens when diplomats come visit the president and they present him with gifts of honor from their culture. And each of these three gifts brought by the Magi represents something about their culture, but they also teach us something about Jesus Christ. They are prophetic gifts. What that means is they foreshadow something important about what Jesus Christ came to do. For example, take the gold here, okay? Gold, as you know, extremely valuable. It represents royalty. In the ancient world, gold was considered a gift fit for a king. So gold literally symbolizes King Jesus. Now, frankincense, you know, that's always the one with the funny name. And if you look at this picture, you'll see it's small, slightly yellow. It looks like kind of fossilized popcorn, right? But frankincense, it would get ground up and it would become incense. And it was presented by a priest in worship. They burn it as a smoke offering to God to symbolize the prayers of God's people going up. So this represents Jesus as our high priest who stands before God's throne and petitions for us. The last one, myrrh, myrrh, everyone say myrrh, myrrh. It's a strange gift for a baby, right? It's rougher, more brown. It's typically used as medicine, as an embalming fluid. This is what you use to prepare a dead body for burial. 
And so I think you guys get it. It foreshadows the suffering and sacrifice that Jesus would face later in life. Myrrh represents the kind of wounds that Jesus would receive on the cross and why it's, he's a suffering servant or the Lamb of God. So what we're going to do in this series, we're going to talk about frankincense and myrrh in the next two weeks. But today, I want to focus on this first gift of gold, which really represents the kingship of Jesus or Jesus as the king of Christmas. And to kick us off, we're going to play a game, okay? Is that okay, Pastor Tim? Sure. Can we play a game? We're going to play Name That King. I'm going to show you a picture of several kings, and you got to name that king. Okay, here we go. Let's start. I'm going to show you the first picture. Guys, if you think of Simba, you think of the lion king. king. <laughs> if you think of a gorilla, you think of King Kong. King Kong. If you see a whopper, you think of Burger King. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce. Special <laughs> orders don't upset that us. That was a tagline. <laughs> Guys, if you think of horror, where are my readers at? Horror books. You think of Stephen King. When you watch basketball, you're a jog. You think of LeBron or... King James. Oh, yeah. When you think of people being interviewed, you think of Larry King. <laughs> and if we're going to have rap, we've got Kanye who titled his last album, Everybody Together... <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is, is king. king. That's why the wise men brought him gold, because it's a gift fit for the king of Christmas, which is the title of our message today. You see, Jesus wasn't just an ordinary person born on earth. The Bible actually calls him the king of kings and the Lord of all lords. Uh, listen to what Paul said to his proje Timothy in the New Testament. He said, for at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God, the king of, let's say it together, the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. So when Paul made that declaration in the Greek language, there was like no way he could have emphasized it more. He was like, Jesus, he is the supreme creator. He is the ruler. He is the authority. All kingdoms in the world bow to him. The entire cosmos is under the feet of King Jesus. He's not just the king of Christmas. He's the king of the cosmos. But this was a problem. Because remember, the Jews, they were expecting a king, a Messiah. But they thought their savior would have been born into splendor, right? They're, they're thinking, oh, we're going to have a king where he's going to have a palatial palace. He's going to be seated on a golden throne like King David, surrounded by wealth and comfort and luxury. I mean, think about it. It makes sense, right? What happens when a baby gets born to uh, the royal family in our world, right? There's a big celebration. It's like, woo, Prince William is born. He's going to be king one day. And, and you guys get it. He's got, you know... The king's crib has purple lining. You know, the baby wears, you know, a Gucci onesie, little baby Yeezys for his little baby feet, you know. <laughs> but that's not how King Jesus arrived. Guys, instead of a gilded throne, he was born in straw poverty. He was born in a manger, in a cave. He was born in a feeding trough. Think about that for animals. Nobody expected the newborn king, the savior, the messiah, to be born the son of a humble carpenter in a backwater town in Nazareth. In fact, Nathaniel, one of Jesus' disciples, he actually said, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nobody could grasp why the king of glory, the eternal son of God, would voluntarily leave his throne in heaven and befriend prostitutes. Why he would touch lepers why he would love those who religious institutions rejected. Nobody could guess that he would call uneducated fishermen who didn't graduate high school, 
despised tax collectors, rebellious troublemakers, you're going to be my court. That's who was in King Jesus' court. The misfits, the outcasts, the nobodies. Nobody could imagine that a mighty king, when they brought a woman caught in adultery before his feet, would pardon her and say, no, no, don't stone her to death. I don't condemn you. And that King Jesus would confront the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Flip tables when people misuse the temple for profit. They couldn't imagine the king of the Jews was riding Jerusalem on a donkey. They're like, this guy should be on a Bentley, not a donkey. No one expected a king to stand trial for crimes that he didn't commit. Or could imagine an innocent, all-powerful king would be beaten and whipped and scourged and spat on and stripped naked to hang on an instrument of torture known as a cross, dying a death a know-nothing criminal deserved. No one could imagine this king while he was suffering and people were mocking him would actually look up to his home in heaven and pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When they offered him a drink to dull the pain, Jesus rejected it. He faced the full agony of our sin on the cross and he declared, it is finished. No one ever expected King Jesus to die a shameful death. His body buried in a borrowed grave. Think about this. Jesus was born in poverty and he was buried in poverty. Nobody could believe it. But you know what else no one believed? Absolutely nobody believed that three days later, when some women went to check on that tomb, that stone would be rolled away and that tomb would be empty because Jesus Christ, our King, rose from the dead. Amen. Our King is alive. He's ascended to heaven where he is seated on a throne at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He is the King of Christmas. Make some noise if you agree. Amen. Amen. It's incredible news. And that is why when you look at this story, you actually see three very distinct responses to Jesus as King. Mm. You know, it's funny because here we are 2,000 years later, and you actually see the exact same very distinct responses to Jesus as king. In fact, if you're honest with yourself, maybe you find yourself in one of these three very common responses to the truth of Jesus as king. Now, the first response is represented by King Herod. Historians tell us that King Herod, or Herod the Great, as he liked to be called, was a very cruel, power-hungry ruler who destroyed anyone he feared was a threat to his throne. He was appointed to his throne by the Romans, who had used military force to exert power over Judah. And Herod was such an evil guy, he even killed members of his own family because he thought that they were flooding against him. In other words, Church, it was safer to be Herod's swine than his son. So it's no surprise Herod opposed Jesus as king. No goal for King Jesus from King Herod. In fact, the Bible actually tells us that when King Herod heard the news, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, how did King Herod find out about King Jesus' birth? Well, that's a good question. And this is where the wise men, eh, they were actually not so wise. Because after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, the Bible tells us during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one? who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
You see, the Magi actually realized Herod was not the king that they were looking for. Herod's throne was temporary, but Jesus' throne was eternal. But Herod was worried. Jesus was a threat to his throne, so he hatched a plan to find out where his rival was. Let's keep reading. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, because if you know the Christmas story, you know, guys, Herod is a big fat liar, okay? He had no desire to authentically worship Jesus. Herod wanted to kill Jesus. It was the opposite. He opposed Jesus as king. How? Well, when the Magi didn't tell him where he was, Herod actually flew into a rage and issued an order to execute all of the boys in Bethlehem under two years of age. This is the part of the Christmas story too. It says on verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Guys, isn't that crazy? Like that's the dark side of the Christmas story, but understand you probably haven't ordered the mass slaughter of young boys in your town. So you're probably thinking, I can't relate to this. I'm not really opposing Jesus. But the reality is, we don't really need to kill people to still behave like Herod. Because here's the reality. We all have a little Herod in our hearts. When we try to keep Jesus off the throne of certain aspects of our lives, we behave like him. Because when we refuse to submit certain things in our lives to the kingship of Jesus, we actually act like he's not Lord of our lives. We too fail to bring him gifts of gold. And that is dangerous. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, You may have a hard time guarding your words. You love to gossip. You know, you speak ill of other people. You judge everybody very quickly but actually the Bible commands us to speak words seasoned with salt. But you refuse to submit your words and your thoughts to King Jesus. So you deny him your gold. Or you may have a hard time managing your finances. You live beyond your means. You spend foolishly. You refuse to submit your spending and your money under the lordship of Jesus. Or it may be your sexuality. We submit to our base desires instead of actually honoring God and submitting our sexuality to his design. It may even be with our careers. King Jesus may be calling you out of something and you're refusing to let go. You want to hold on to your throne. You may be thinking, I don't need religion. I don't need Jesus. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. Not some outdated book, not some stupid church, not some antiquated religion. I'm on the throne. I call the shots. Nobody tells me what to do. You know, writing this message this week, I actually felt convicted about how much I keep Jesus of the throne of my life when I try to play God in the lives of my children. When instead of releasing their situations to Jesus, I instead try to control them with all of my competencies and micromanaging abilities. I can very quickly oppose Jesus 
when I spend my days, weeks, sometimes even months, attempting to actually manufacture the results that I want to see in my kids' lives without once submitting those plans to the kingship of Christ. Now, whatever it is for you, the reality is that when you push Jesus off of the throne of your life, in whatever area that may be, you respond like Herod. Herod opposed Jesus as king, and we all have a mini Herod in our heart. When we know what God wants us to do, but we don't do it, we oppose Jesus as king. And this Christmas, I actually think God is saying, don't pull a Herod. Because remember, Herod was more interested in saving his throne than saving his soul, which is why it should be the opposite for us. God wants us to grant King Jesus access to every area of our lives. That's an interesting question. You have a little mini Herod in your heart. Think about that. How we oppose Jesus today. You know, the second response to Jesus as king we see a little bit different in the Bible. The Jewish priests didn't outright oppose Jesus. They weren't like, We're out, we, we just reject him. They actually dismissed Jesus as king. They, they kind of blow him off. Matthew 2, 4 says this, assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. So King Herod gets them together. He inquired of them where Christ was to be born. And you know what the priests answered? They actually opened their Bibles in the Old Testament and said, oh, it's right here in Micah. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be what? Ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times, meaning Jesus was eternal, no beginning, no end. In other words, these priests quoted an Old Testament prophecy made hundreds of years before that a ruler would be born in Bethlehem. So they're quoting their Bible to Herod, and yet they're five miles away from Jesus. They don't even bother to go see him personally. The, the, the priests don't even bother checking out themselves. And others, watch this. They understood their Bibles, but failed to apply it to their lives. They read the Messiah is born. He's here for me. But they're like, nah, so what? They act like Jesus is no big deal in their lives. The priests actually dismiss Jesus as king. Like, why would they at least go with the wise men, right? Or at least investigate. And the answer is because they're not interested. They're, they're not passionate about finding God's son and worshiping Christ for who he is. You know, I remember when my kids are born, we had all sorts of family and friends come visit us at the hospital. Ever do that? Everyone wanted to see the newborn, you know. The, do you see a new baby? You know, they want a chance to like hold them and get to look like Tim or Colleen. By the way, they're both good looking, so they take after her. <laughs> but making a beeline for, for a newborn baby, that's what you expect when somebody you love has a cherished child. And yet here, when the Jewish priests hear about the birth of the king of the Jews, they're like, eh, completely indifferent to the news. They're too busy with themselves to be concerned about Christ. You know, it got me thinking. I was like, you know, I think the exact same response happens today all the time. I see Christians today, like not pointing fingers, but just a lot of believers get more excited about the latest iPhone or, or video game or, or, or you know, ah, oh, Jesus, my cryptocurrency, let's talk about it. More passion than about King Jesus. In fact, I'm always blown away by what, what when I see people's passion on Black Friday. You know what I'm talking about? Again, I'm not pointing fingers, criticizing any. Hey, if you want to get up early to snag a deal, that's awesome. But when I see pictures like this of people fighting and clawing each other over a big screen TV. By the way, you see Kyra in the back there? She's in the back over there in the shoe section. <laughs> I'm in the shoe line. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like they're clawing each other over Under Armour gear, right? It's like how many times those same folks think nothing saying, nah, I'm not coming to worship Jesus at church. 
I have friends who invite their, their, you know, the family. Hey, do you want to come with me to a Christmas service? You know, my church is doing, nah, I'm good, thanks. I, I, I'm tired. I got up early for Black Friday shopping or I got Sunday football. I, nah, I go to grandma's house, you know, for eggnog and ham. Eh. Whenever you act like God isn't the priority, you act like the priests who dismiss Jesus as king. Whenever we spiritually drift, and I get it, guys, it's very easy to do at this time of the season. We become full-time shoppers, but part-time followers of Christ. We dismiss Jesus. When you know info about Christ, but you don't know him personally, you dismiss Jesus. When you read his word, but you fail to apply it to your life, you dismiss Jesus. But the reality is, The Lord wants us to worship Christ at the center of our lives. This is the king who came to die for you, who was raised after three days. He sent his life-giving spirit to live inside of you. So you're supposed to give him the gold, not just at Christmas, but every day of your life. And guys, that's why today my prayer is that you would do at the start of this Christmas season what the wise men did. You know what happened when they heard the good news? The wise men worshiped Jesus as king. Matthew says, after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And what did they do? They fell to the ground and they worshiped him. I want you to get this image. Falling to the ground is what you do when you're saying to somebody, you know what? You are high. I'm low, man. You have have great dignity, but I'm nothing by comparison. You are the king. I'm just, I'm your servant. The Magi worshiped Jesus by bowing down. It's, it, they were submitting to his kingship. And this, guys, this is beautiful. But this is actually the first recorded act of worship in the New Testament. What's amazing is those wise men worshiped Jesus in the middle of very difficult circumstances. I want you to think about it. King Herod was out for blood. And yet these three kings bowed down and declared, Jesus Christ is our king. I think that's the test of true worship. Will you worship Jesus as king even when your world is falling apart? Now that's a hard question, but it is exactly what our friends David and Kat Ramirez did when their house got flooded during Hurricane Ida. David and Kat are friends from Liquid. Kat is actually a small group leader. David plays in our band. He's in our media team. They recently purchased a home in Somerset County and they were so excited. But guys, the day after they moved in, actually tragedy struck, like Hurricane Ida hit and hit their brand new home, got flooded. But in the midst of these terrible circumstances, you know, it would be easy to oppose Jesus, to actually respond, God, why would you let this happen? A good God wouldn't allow this to happen to people that serve you. Maybe God, maybe you're not so good after all. They didn't dismiss Jesus by acting as if Jesus was powerless to help their situation. Instead, David and Kat actually chose to worship King Jesus in the midst of very difficult circumstances. And I want to invite you to listen in to their story. In January, it'll be 10 years since we've known each other. And we started dating in high school. So we used to keep a jar in our locker and any change we would find on the floors or in the uh, lunchroom or anything like that, we would just put it in there. So we've really been saving and praying and hoping for a home for quite a while. I was just excited to have a home that we could call our own. And I know we were young, but we were just really excited. And we knew that that was the path that God was leading us towards. Um, So even at a young age, we were praying for a home and just saving up for it. We ended up looking at probably close to like 
10 or 15 houses in person. Um, but we just kept getting outbid or like we would go look at the house and then on our way home, they're like, oh, it's sold already. And so we just kept praying and asking God, just guide us to the right home. Wherever it is that you want us, let that go through. So rejection after rejection, we were just like, okay, that's not it. That's not where God wants us. But finally, when we found this home and they accepted our offer, that's, we just kind of knew that, okay, this is, God's opening a door and this is where God is leading us towards. And so the original prayer was, show us where you want us. Um, but once this door opened um, and there were so many emotions mixed in, we were just like, God, we don't know if this is our emotions or if this is you. So if this isn't you, just close the doors. We're gonna move forward with it in faith, but if it isn't you, just shut it down. She was, just kept saying, you know, God's taken us this far. Um, there's no reason for us to believe that he won't continue to provide. Yeah, so we, we close on August 30th. The next day, uh, September 1st, we moved in. And then the day after that was Ida. And we just opened up the door and like water just came rushing in. And I see pieces of our boxes, our moving boxes, floating in the water. I didn't believe what I was seeing. I couldn't believe that that was happening to us at that moment. It was just me and her in the garage. And I was like, I, I just can't hold it anymore. And I just broke down and... <laughs> yeah, I just broke down and uh, started crying and hugging and uh, just trying to think about all the things that we weren't gonna be able to replace. There was a moment where I was in the garage alone and uh, I just felt like I had to grab my emotions and hold them back and say, you know what, God is still good. I don't, I don't want to say that right now. Everything in me doesn't want to agree with that statement, but God is still good. And so I remember as I'm taking stuff out of the water, I'm forcing myself to say, God, thank you for the house. God, thank you for the opportunity to even be in a position to buy a house. Yeah, for me, it's been a little different. When this happened with the house, I was like, God, how could you? I spoke it in faith and I was like, God, we're gonna trust you. How is this happening? But then little by little, um, we started seeing the blessings come through. The day after the flood, church is going to do an Ida relief. And then on top of that, uh, disaster relief assistance came through. And even now, they're still showing ways to, to, to help us financially with that. It took me actually having to see God's goodness to believe it. He made a way when I didn't see a way. And I didn't know how he would make a way, but he, he has and he is still doing. Uh, there was this one family from church um, that actually attends Parsippany and uh, she was the sweetest lady and she offered to make us a, a home cooked meal, which is like such a small thing, but to us, like we haven't cooked in a long time. So even just like a meal, like that's such a blessing. But yeah, between church and just friends and family and even my job, my job had raised thousands of dollars to, to help us out. And it was like these people that I've never even met before that I don't know, they don't know me. And they still went out of their ways to raise money for us uh, to help us replace a lot of the stuff. Today, I'm definitely feeling a lot more grateful. It's still a challenge. There's still so much work to be done, but little by little, we're, we're getting it done. I would just say um, we're just so hopeful of uh, of what God's gonna do in the house and, and, you know, and for us. And we feel like we can confidently say God will provide and we can encourage others to say that God will provide.
we thank David and Kat for sharing their worship with us. I don't know if you catch what David said. He said, in the middle of water flooding my belongings, I chose gratitude, which is actually a form of worship. David and Kat chose to say, God, I give you thanks for this house. God, I know that you're good. My cars are being totaled. My possessions are being ruined. But God, I'm going to bring you my gold because you're my King Jesus. Amen. And David and Kat praised and gave God thanks in the midst of something extremely difficult. They trusted Jesus in the midst of something very hard. They were able to worship God. And you know what God did? God actually honored that. Because here's a little detail that they didn't tell you. When David and Kat bought their house, it actually appraised for $35,000 less than the selling price. So it meant that they had to cover the gap and come up with another $35,000. And they drained their savings to do so. Because they said, you know, God provided these savings to us. He's going to provide this home to us. It's all going to work out. And of course, they were devastated, as you saw, when it flooded the next day. But they trusted God. They worshiped Jesus in spite of their disappointment. And do you know what God did? Afterwards, with Ida Relief dollars, insurance monies, and more, Kat and David actually got that $35,000 back and more. That's Can we hear it for King that's Jesus? That's amazing. That is amazing. I mean, let me just ask. I mean, that's an example from real life. But how about you? Like, what is your response to Jesus to start this Christmas season? We say, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure, Tim. I don't. I, I've, I've got this, you know, I, I, my life's pretty much in control. I'm, I'm on the throne. Because if that's how you live, you are opposing Jesus like Herod. Or maybe like other people, you're, you're listening today and you kind of dismiss Jesus by saying, you know, interesting story, nice tradition around the holidays. It's just not for me. You dismiss Jesus when he's asking to sit on the throne of your heart. Friends, listen, as your pastor, I want you to really know King Jesus this Christmas personally. Not just to know about him, but to know him as a merciful king, as a loving friend. To know my king who stripped himself of his glory in heaven, was born of a virgin in poverty in a cave, who reached out to the lowest of the low, who loved those who were despised, who stood up for those who were weak, who came for those who were a mess, whose first marriages didn't work, who used substances to cope with their anxiety. He came for people like that. King Jesus came for sinners like me. I want you to know that king. He is not some distant, involved, angry judge. He is a righteous king of kings, and he's a loving Lord of lords. Amen? So to end our time together, I want to invite you to stand up. All our campuses, would you stand up in reverence of who our king really is? Just stand up with me. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to give God your gold, to give him your worship as the exalted king that Jesus is. He's, he's the king of righteousness. He's the king of all kings. Jesus, my king, my king knows how to heal the sick, amen? He can open blind eyes. My king can heal deaf ears. He sets captives free. He heals the brokenhearted. Put your hands out. His goodness is indescribable. This king's power is incomprehensible. His grace is irresistible. In the presence of his name, darkness trembles. Demons flee when the king walks in the room. And though the devil hated him, Death could not defeat him. The grave couldn't hold this king. It's the king of kings we get to worship at Christmas. So give him some praise if you agree, church. Give him some worship. It's a king who's saying to you, don't oppose me. Don't dismiss me. And said, I want you to worship me. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to pray. 
to King Jesus first, and then we're going to sing his praises together to start Christmas. Would you lift your hands in prayer for, with me? Pray with me. Jesus, at Christmas, your people stand before you, God. We're bowing in our hearts, but we're standing before your throne, declaring for anyone to hear, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no other God like you, Jesus, and no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. So thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you for leaving your throne in heaven on a rescue mission for me, for these precious people, Lord, your, your sons and daughters who you love. Father, I thank you that you are knocking on the door of our heart and you want to sit on the throne anew this Christmas season. If that's your prayer today, you want Jesus to be on the throne of your life, would you pray with me? You can just say, Jesus, today I get off the throne and I ask you to be my king. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my drift, for my distraction, for the ways I've ignored you. Come into my life and cleanse me. Sit on the throne of my heart and fill me with your spirit so I can serve and worship you always. Father, I pray for those who prayed from the depth of their heart, Lord. Would this be a new Christmas where you're not just born in our memory, but you're born again in our lives. We thank you, Jesus, for the greatest gift of your life for ours. We never repay you, but we can worship you. And that's what we do now. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.